E.M. Swift, a writer for Sports Illustrated, ventured north to seek him out and came away in wonder. Gretzky's talent is all in his head, he wrote. He knows not only where everyone is on the ice, but he also knows where they're going. Uncanny anticipation. Welcome to the Sports Literati Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, David Shu. And I'm your other co-host, David Bryant. Welcome aboard. All right, Dave, we are back after three-month break for another episode of the Sports Literati. It's been a long three months, man. I've missed this. It has. And today we have 99 reasons to celebrate why we're Canadian. As opposed to 99 problems. <laughs> no, we're not going to list the 99 reasons. It's a pun. <laughs> but the book we're going to talk about today is about number 99, the man that needs no introduction if you're Canadian at all, I feel. Wayne Gretzky. You yeah. know, it's funny. Uh, I was at a winery in Niagara-on-the-Lake, and <laughs> I, I had some people from out of town with me, and we went to the Wayne Gretzky um winery basically mm. and we we you know tasted some wines bought a couple of bottles of wine and only later did i tell them wayne gretzky is like one of the most famous athletes in the history of canada <laughs> wait they didn't know they, they had no idea who they, wayne they, gretzky they were was. just like this is one of the greatest wines they had no idea they just, they just thought oh I, I really like this wine and and like later on i think it came up like the name and, and i asked them like do you know who wayne gretzky is and they said uh no and I told him he's only the greatest hockey player who's ever lived. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but I think that's a real thing that in 2023, because maybe it's because you and I live in Toronto and we're in that age demographic where we're starting to become like the old people. Like the young people do not know who this guy is. Maybe to them, he's just a name. That's even the, that. Apparently. These people were from the Middle East, though. So, well, that's part of it, right? Like yeah. Canada is, you know very diverse place. There's lots of people coming from all parts of the world. And who's going to know about this hockey player from the eighties? That's true. I mean, he retired like, I mean, what, 20 some odd years ago, probably <laughs> even more than that. So I have been giving my son like a history primer on hockey whenever I have time, right? Because he started playing hockey and I want to teach him some of the finer points about our national pastime. And so I explained to him, you know, that Wayne Gretzky is the best player of all time and that I grew up in that era. So then he goes to school and starts asking people about Wayne Gretzky. And he comes home and tells me, daddy, nobody knows who Wayne Gretzky is. And I'm like, yeah, you're in grade one. They, of course, they're not going to know who he is. I was with him. He turns to his friend at lunch and says, you know, Paul Coffey used to play with Wayne Gretzky. And his friend was like, this was just way over everybody's head. Uh, oh, these these little kids. They think hockey started with uh, Sidney Crosby or something like that. <laughs> well, we are going to teach them a lesson today about Canada's national myth. So the book we're reading this month is called The Game of Our Lives by Peter Zosky. And so I'm just going to give a quick synopsis of this thing. And this is a book that I have read probably eight times in the last 10, 15 years. Um Peter Zosky is a writer slash journalist. He was well known as the host of a radio show for CBC Radio called This Country in the Morning. 
I never heard the show. It's a little bit before my time, but I imagine he probably was just interviewing various Canadian celebrities and, you know, people who were in the news and in the culture at the time. And at some point he got appointed the Order of Canada and he was nicknamed Captain Canada or Mr. Canada. So kind of get the flavor that this is a dude who loved Canada. He actually, I don't think hockey was like a big thing for him in the sense that his career was centered around being a hockey writer. But he wrote this one book called The Game of Our Lives. And as a kid, I was a big hockey book guy. I was always in the sports book aisle of the library. And I remember seeing this book. And the original cover of this book has that famous Canadian painting of a goalie, like kind of in his netminder position, wearing like the old-fashioned 70s white goalie mask in the crouch. But whenever I opened the book, the book had no pictures. It was all words. It seemed a little bit heavy. So I never read it. I never read it for many, many, many years. And, you know, I was a hockey fan at that time. And later I kind of stopped following the sport as closely, still had never read the book. But at some point in the last 20 years at, at a used book sale, I found a used, you know, it's right here sitting next to us, a very beat up copy of the game of our lives. And I was like, okay, you know what? I've seen this book a thousand times. I never picked it up. So I'll read it. And it turned out that this book is actually a fly on the wall look at the 19, is it 1980, 81 Edmonton Oilers. And of course that is the Edmonton Oilers that then within a few years became the dominant team in the NHL. But when we follow them in this particular season, they're still very, very young. Wayne Gretzky is like in his second full season in the NHL. Uh, Mark Messier has just arrived on the scene as like a pretty green rookie. Paul Coffey's trying to make the team and, you know, stay, uh, try to stay on the roster without being cut. And you meant, and they mentioned all these other guys who are just starting to come on like Andy Moog, Charlie Huddy gets mentioned at some point. Yari Curry is like one of the new, you know, foreigners on the team. Everyone is there. All the famous names that we would remember from the Edmonton Oilers of the mid eighties. But they're not that great yet. In fact, they're actually a pretty miserable outfit for most of the season. They go through a coaching change. They spend most of the season somewhere between like 16th and 18th in the league out of 21 teams. But in the last bit of the season, they pour it on. They score a monumental upset over the Montreal Canadiens in the first round of the playoffs. And Peter Zoski's there for the ride. He starts with the preseason, follows them through the season. And along the way not just talks about the Oilers and not just talks about Wayne Gretzky, but spends a lot of time talking about hockey and its place in Canada. And if this sounds a little bit like another book we read, The Game by Ken Dryden, it's because it is. It's really trying to put hockey's place in Canada in perspective. And so aside from just talking about the Oilers, we also basically get a rundown of the history of hockey in Canada from what it's like for an old guy to get back in the skates to what it's like growing up as a hockey as a as a kid playing hockey what it's like to be a hockey parent and then over the course of the book he also goes through all the legends of hockey so there's this tradition in Canada of these great names the Howie Morenz leading to Maurice Richard leading to John Beliveau leading to Gordie Howe leading to Bobby Hull Bobby Orr and Wayne Gretzky is where this book kind of leaves it and and so it's that discussion about Canada's national myth, right? This mythology of hockey. And that is what makes this book, to me, very entertaining because 
you know, this is our country and the nostalgia of reading through it. Although the book is sometimes a bit simple in its take on stuff. It's just a really heartwarming story about Canada and, and hockey's place in it. Yeah. I mean, it really reads like a love letter to hockey Mm -hmm. and to Canada. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who grew up playing hockey uh, has a romanticized view of playing hockey as a young man. Yeah. And, you know, only, I guess, later in his life gets to sort of write about it and really explain his his love for it, you know, to the general public in the form of this book. Right. So that's that's what it, it really, that's how it comes across to me. Right. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we were comparing it to the game, the the other <laughs> book that we uh, that we read, I mean, they have similar titles. <laughs> we should put that out there, um, but this one is definitely less dense. It mm-hmm. is a e- it's a bit of an easier read, a more relaxing read. Right, but it doesn't quite get into the depths of like hockey culture, the, uh, uh, like hockey team right. culture, the way that Ken Dryden's book does. Right, Ken Dryden's book is a little bit more real, you know talks a little bit about money salaries i guess this book touches on that stuff a little bit but from a much more romanticized angle right like you feel like you're not so much following real life athletes as you are following heroes like these are the heroes of this guy's you know and and i think i think that makes sense because dryden was an actual player on the actual team right and so he had a bit more he was a bit more of an insider because he had several years Mm. with that same team playing with the same players he had a little bit more dirt on some of these guys. Right. This one is all positive. Right. Like, it's pr- a reporter following a team yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, like a reporter slash almost like a fan. Yeah, you know, it's much more of a fan, around. really, than a reporter. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, it, so there's a there's a positive spin on everybody. There's not a lot of negative, like, salacious <laughs> behavior that's reported. But that's also book. because the main subject of the book is Wayne Gretzky, who... Basically, is Mr. Canada. I mean, I know Peter Zosky is Mr. Canada, but really from our generation, Wayne Gretzky is Mr. Canada, right? This guy who could do no wrong, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this basically follows him in his first, no, his second season mm-hmm. in, in the NHL. Right. right? And his third professional season because he had played a year in the WHA yeah, before. Yeah, and And you just sort of start to get a sense from this book as to, like, the kind of sensation he was at the time, you know, we didn't really like, I, I wasn't, I was like two years old at that time. Like during, when this season happened, I was basically two years old. So obviously <laughs> I have no recollection right. of Gretzky in this area. I only have a, a recollection of Gretzky from like the, at least the mid to late eighties, if not the nineties, you, you know what I mean? So it, it's an interesting recollection. I feel like I learned a lot, uh, <laughs> you know, from this book about him. I think we need to spend at least two minutes telling people who Wayne Gretzky is, because now it's come to our attention that there are many people who don't know who he is. Mm -hmm. So who is he? In your (laughs) words, who is Wayne Gretzky? Mr. Canada, right? He is, he is, I mean, Gordie Howe, I guess his actual nickname is Mr. Hockey, but for our generation, Wayne Gretzky was the epitome of hockey. In the period of time of the 1980s, the Edmonton Oilers for a good five or six years were the most crazy, dominant, freewheeling, high-flying circus act of a hockey team. You know, we talked about in a prior podcast how dominant the Montreal Canadiens were, but they were a bit before our time. But the Edmonton Oilers of the mid-'80s 
were just as dominant. And it, they had so many stars on that team, right? Wayne Gretzky, you know, if we look at the statistics, he is by far the greatest hockey player of all time, statistics-wise, right? He has the most goals of any player who's ever played in their career, although that may change soon. He has the most assists of any player that ever played, so therefore he has the most total points. He also has more assists than the next player has total points, right? He has like a thousand points more than the person below him. In the in, the, it's it's absurd. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. So even if you know nothing about hockey, just think about this is a sport that's been around for eighty years. Actually, no. What am I saying? It's been around for like a hundred years. The NHL has been around for more than a hundred years. This guy has a thousand points more than the next highest scoring point getter over a hundred years. Yeah, I mean he's quite a sensation. Like even when they're talking in the scope of this season, and, and I didn't realize this. Like I've never actually seen something like this happen. He had like more than twice as many points as the next best guy on his team. <laughs> right. Like I literally have never right. seen anything remotely like that before. Usually, if the if there's a guy who's like a really high scoring forward. Generally, some of those points will will filter down to his wingers, the guys he plays with, <laughs> like almost always, right? Because right. they're going to be on the ice at the same time as him. But in his case, he's scoring like 170 points, and the next guy's scoring like 80 points. It's like absolutely ridiculous, and it just goes to show the type of like unique talent that right. he was. But the numbers only tell part of the story with him because. Usually when you think about a hockey player, like you think, okay, you, if you're describing hockey to a person who's not from Canada and you show them the game and you say, okay, this is a hockey player, they have a mental image of a dude who's kind of stocky, you know, b broad shoulders, big hips, powerful, large, you know, strong. Wayne Gretzky was actually a really scrawny dude. He doesn't fit any of this, right? He, he, he was quick, but not the fastest guy on the ice. He didn't hit. He was always doing something a little different from all the other players, right? And to this day, there hasn't I've there's never been a player like him, right? Like many of the other stars that we might describe, like the Bobby Hull and Gordie Howe, there are equivalents of them. You know, there are versions of that player, you know, a player who can skate really well, a player with a blistering shot. There is nobody like Wayne Gretzky, the skinniest dude on the team who could always predict where the puck was gonna go and be three steps ahead of everyone else on the ice. Almost entirely those thousand points extra that he gained on everyone else is from mental, being mentally smarter than all the other players. It's really strange. Yeah, it, it's really strange. It's hard to describe what makes him so good. It's all right. like very intangible. We call intangibles, right? right? Like you can look at, say, somebody like Mario Lemieux, and it's very evident like when he's handling the puck, right. when you look at his size, when you look at his skills, it's easy to break down the skills that right. he has and be very impressed. With Gretzky, it, there's so much nuance to it, <laughs> which it sounds ridiculous saying that since he's by far the greatest player of all time, but his game is all nuance. Yeah. That is really an odd thing to say, right? It sh shouldn't it be just readily apparent like <laughs> exactly. every time he's on the ice? It's like if, if, you know, we always talk about hoops, but when you look at, LeBron James, right? He's six eight, like two hundred seventy five pounds or something, and he can handle the ball like a small player. Wayne Gretzky doesn't have, seem to have any of these physical advantages on the ice, right? He's not the biggest, he's not the fastest, he's actually the smallest. He's almost the skinniest player, yet he almost never gets hit. He's, I don't know, it's just it's just a very remarkable athlete. And if you grew up in that era 
we kind of took it for granted. And it's only now looking back on it, there's been nothing like this. No, it, it may go to show that with a sport like hockey, the the physical attributes that we perceive to you know to like great athletes should have may not be nearly as important in a game like hockey for some reason maybe because <laughs> of the speed maybe because they're on skates that sort of equalizes things but generally i mean you don't have to be a physically imposing dude to be a, right. a, a great hockey so player that's who he was greatest hockey player of all time pretty much nobody's going to dispute that the book also ha- so the other thing that makes the Oilers crazy is he wasn't the only guy. I've listed some of the other guys. Mark Messier, I believe, is actually the second all-time leading scorer in NHL history, and he was the second best player on this team. It's not Gordie Howe? No, I don't think it's Gordie Howe. I think Mark Messier passed him. Oh, okay. Okay, he's third. He was second. Yaromir Yager passed him at some ah, point, so I was right, but I'm sense. not right anymore. Okay, okay. So, yeah, I mean, that just goes to show how loaded and stacked that team was. <laughs> right. Like, Messier, widely considered, you know, the greatest leader in NHL history on the team, playing like second or third fiddle to, right. to Gretzky so and Curry. In the time we grew up, like when we're starting to become sports fans, the Edmonton Oilers, every time I open the newspaper, first place in the standings, leading the scoring race, top team in the league, they won the Stanley Cup four times in five years. And. If that wasn't enough, Wayne Gretzky then gets traded after the fourth Stanley Cup. And a year, not a year, two years later, they win it again without him. (laughs) That's how good this team was. Mm -hmm. And a few years later, half of that team and the coach had been traded and moved to the New York Rangers and they won the Stanley Cup one more time. So I always think that the Edmonton Oilers actually won six Stanley Cups in total if we take that New York Rangers one and apply it to them. Yeah, I mean, that's something that Messi is always going to have over Gretzky. He, he has six championships to, to Gretzky's four. You know, if, if this was an NBA, if, this, if we were talking in NBA terms, this would be something, like, this would be a major thing. Maybe, maybe, but we're not going to go there We're not going to go that Wayne route, Gretzky yeah. is the greatest player of all time. Mark Messier can be in the top five if he wants to be. For sure. So that is who the Edmonton Oilers were, and that is why this book is... That's why we're talking about this book. If he had written this book about any other hockey team, you know, because at the time when he picks the Oilers, Wayne Gretzky is obviously the reason he picks them, but they're not a great team. And if they hadn't gone on to become a dominant team, this book would have vanished. But as it is, this book is still in print after all these years. Mm-hmm. It, if you had to consider, like, consider the Oilers as a dynasty, which they are clearly, where would they rank in terms of dynasties in, in NHL history? I mean, that's probably the last significant dynasty. In our lifetime, it is the last significant dynasty. I mean, I think Pittsburgh won a couple in a row with Lemieux. Two, only two. But that's that's not... That's like half a dynasty. That's like almost. nothing. Yeah, that's that's this is just a repeat. Right? Yeah, that's it's the only one in our lifespan, you know? But they the funny thing is they followed an actual dynasty as well. The Islanders were... Right. Won four in a row. And the Islanders followed the Canadiens. Yeah. So it's just been dynasty after dynasty, and that was the last one. To me, there's just something about this team, the way they won, the freewheeling style, the the crazy offense. They had to change the rules because of this team. I, I kind of enjoyed that this is sort of the you know, origin story of that dynasty, yeah. right? To my shock that they they like as you mentioned earlier, they weren't a good team. Right. They were they were like actually in the bottom half of the league, right? But it's interesting to see these tw- like most of these guys are like twenty, twenty one, twenty two, right? 
the oldest guy is like 25 or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. It's like one of the youngest teams you'll ever see. And it makes sense that they wouldn't be that good just yet. It's even, crazy the amount of talent. The crazy amount of scouting that like there's they talk about the scout who had identified Paul Coffey and that scout had identified that Grant Fear is gonna be coming down the pipe like in a year. Like I don't know what they paid that guy, but that guy he deserves like massive credit for this. Yeah, to have that collection of talent all at the same time, like coming into their own, all young players. Right. That's that's insane, and they ju- and the Oilers just entered into the NHL, right? To to top it off, you know. Now let's talk like so. So a big part of this book talks about the Oilers, but there's this other big part of the book that talks about Canada, and I guess we touched on this a little bit, but this book is actually a lot talks a lot more about this than the game. I feel. What do you think about hockey as being Canada's identity? I would say Canada's national identity identity used to be tied up in hockey. Used to. But it's not I, anymore. I feel like that's changed. I so what's like our identity? Changed. It doesn't have to be a sport identity. Like, what's our national identity now? Our, our identity, to me, is multiculturalism. <laughs> that, to me, would be the the primary Canadian identity. Mm. It's, a, it's an ever-changing culture because of new people are coming in all the time we have probably one of the highest immigration rates in the world right now um but yeah we welcome a lot of people from a lot of countries a lot of struggling people who want to make a better life this is the story of canada you know since its infancy right true you have different waves of immigration happening at different times like i think like most of the people we know who were born here pretty much all their parents are not from here you know what I mean? The, the, almost ninety percent. I, I know almost no people whose parents like we're in we're we're like in our forties, right? Mind you, but almost none of the people that we know have parents who were born here, hmm. and so this just gives an idea of the the extent of immigration. And and I think in in some ways because of that, that's why hockey is not. This, it doesn't have the same identity in Canada as it used to. But because you mentioned that this process of welcoming immigrants has been going on for hundreds of years or hundred years since Canada's inception. Yes. How come hockey was able to be Canada's identity up until 1981 at least, but not anymore? I I think, I feel like the shift has happened recently. I don't think it happened like in the eighties or nineties. I think the shift has probably happened in the last five to 10 years. I think so too. I feel like it has. I'm not certain yeah. of it, but I feel like it has. Maybe in small town Canada, in, in somewhere in the North where kids are playing like hockey on lakes, <laughs> on frozen over lakes, maybe, you know, Canada is still hockey to them. But for the kid who's growing up in an urban area like Toronto or Vancouver, I mean, that kid is more likely to be an NBA fan than an NHL fan, would be my <laughs> feeling. It is strange. It is strange. And so this book speaks to us about a time period of Canada. It's a little bit of a bygone. And some of you, maybe when we go to small town Canada, we get the feeling that we're back living in Peter Zosky's Canada. But I don't feel like I'm living in his Canada anymore. No, I, I, absolutely not. I mean, I, I think where I feel it the most, though, like where I feel like, you know, Canada's still hanging on to this hockey identity is when the Olympics happens. Like when the, the pros go and pl- went and played in the Olympics and we were getting gold medals, you know, regularly. That's sort of, I don't know, that's where I felt some pride as a <laughs> Canadian and, you know, 
we we actually have one game that we can call our own, okay, which is so, nice. So you don't think hockey is Canada's identity anymore? No. Now but, how how about this? Is hockey Canada's national myth? Is that fair to say still? Uh, when you say myth, what do you mean by that? It's like the mythology of Canada, right? Like when we think about the Greeks and Greek mythology, we think about Achilles and Zeus and the Odyssey and Homer and all that, right? Canada, you know, doesn't have such a long history. But when we think about the history of Canada, I feel like the history of Canada really is Maurice Richard, Bobby Orr, Wayne Gretzky, right? If we go to the history of the United States, like who are the United States mythological figures? I feel like they're actually people like Paul Bunyan, Abraham Lincoln, right? Maybe George Washington. Canada does not have that feeling for our politicians so much. I feel like Wayne Gretzky or Bobby Orr is the equivalent of Paul Bunyan is in the United States. Uh, Paul Bunyan isn't actually a real person, is he? Exactly. Exactly. That's why. That's why this book, you feel like you're reading a book about real people, but I felt I was actually reading a book about the mythology of Canada, right? That we have these glossy versions of our old-time hockey heroes, and that takes the place of an actual myth because Canada is too new. We have no history. And so Bobby Orr, you know, with his fragile knees, is Icarus, the guy who flew too close to the sun, right? He, he, he and then and then came back down to earth. This this is a way of looking at it that I've never actually considered before, <laughs> but I I definitely see your point. And Peter Zosky does spend a big part of the book he does connecting the superstars of the past to the superstar of the present, which is Gretzky. It's like a lineage right. of superstars, and I feel like that's the connective tissue that binds the book together in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, al- along with the, you know, the season with the Oilers, it, it sort of parallels, in parallel, he has this story of the the superstar hockey player in Canada, the mythic superstar right. hockey player in Canada. Yeah. But I, I think the reason that is gone is because back then, every single amazing hockey player was Canadian. Mm. Now, probably, and most half of the best players mm-hmm. are actually Canadian. You know what I mean? So it, it does. They don't take on that sort of outsized importance anymore. Like when, <laughs> when the best player is, or one of the best players is like from Russia, you don't feel that same connection as a Canadian. And that's okay. I mean, it's good that the game has grown and has touched other parts of the world. But Absolutely. I feel like that myth is still there. For a hockey fan to get into this book is to embrace that mythology. It's just like you can still be Greek today and appreciate all that modern Greek has to offer, but you can still appreciate Greek mythology at the same time. Yeah, that, that's true. But it's, it's also not just the fact that a lot of the best players are not Canadian. It's also the fact uh, that what we, you know, we touched on it earlier, that hockey is not as popular as it used to be mm-hmm. here. It used to be the sport. It used to be the only sport. Right. That, that people cared about. Now it's like one of many sports that people care about. Right. So, yeah, it's everything's kind of fractured in that way. So there's no <laughs> cohesive, like, worship of a specific athlete, you know, right. in Canada anymore. The world has gotten smaller. It's gotten more complicated. But, and, and so I think hockey has kind of fallen by the wayside a little mm. bit. Who Who's the most important athlete in Canada today? That's a tough one. Does that have to be a hockey player? No, I'm saying who. Uh, that's what I'm asking. Is it a hockey player? I, I don't know. Who would you Who would you say? I mean, if you're going to go hockey, it's got to be Connor McDavid, right? Well, but, it could be Sidney Crosby. 
if you were to if you were to connect that that chain of great hockey players, like we'll go through it again. Howie Morenz, Maurice Richard, dot 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 dot, Guy Lafleur, Wayne Gretzky. After Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, it kind of stops there. Like, who's the next guy? Is it Crosby? It was Crosby. It would okay, be so Crosby. it was Crosby. And now, it's do we need to have one guy at all times? Like, maybe there can be a decade or two without a guy. No, but McDavid is sort of arriving now, and Crosby still is in the NHL. Right. You know what I mean? Like, Howe was playing into, you know, the time that Gretzky first started playing. <laughs> Actually, by the time Gretzky retired, yeah, they did. They did actually link directly. They linked like, directly. Gordie Howe did play, <laughs> so they always have this like torch passing it's ceremony. Old, it's very neat and tidy, isn't it? Yeah, how that and, works. And Mario Lemieux, I believe, had Sidney Crosby living in his house in he Pittsburgh did. as a rookie. So he we really him. are passing this one to one to one. But I mean, Lemieux had the torch for what, like three years? See, we're talking about torches being passed. Like this is this is mythology, man. Like this is Canada. Who carries torches but uh, Greek gods, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that I, is. A I good guess point. it has the potential to be McDavid. And you know what I found interesting since you mentioned McDavid is I recently read an article. I don't follow hockey that closely, but you know Stan Fischler, he was like this like uh, hockey writer. He wrote a ton of children's hockey books. Actually, at this point in my life, I probably read more writing by Stan Fischler than anybody else in the world. He apparently, uh, he recently wrote something where he says, Connor McDavid is not the best player in the NHL. He's too flashy. He's good at the flashy moves, but his plus minus is not as high as some other guy on the Dallas Stars. And I was like, oh, okay, that's an interesting take. Maybe Connor McDavid is not that good. I don't, I don't watch hockey enough to really say. Then I read Peter Zosky's The Game of Our Lives Again. And at some point in that book, in this book, Stan Fischler, same dude, 40 years ago, was writing that Wayne Gretzky is not all that. <laughs> Right, <laughs> even though he was racking up double the points of everyone else. So you know what, Stan? I know you need to make a. I know you need to make a living writing hockey, and you've and you've made a long living doing it, right? But some of your opinions, this is just nonsense. It's definitely a take. He's like the, <laughs> he's the original hockey take master or something like that. But you you know what? I the name Stan Fischler sounded very familiar, and I, I realized that when I was like twelve years old, I actually read his book, which was like I think the greatest one hundred hockey players of all yeah, time. Yeah, that's the type of stuff you would write and, all the time. And you know who number one was? This so this it's was not Wayne Gretzky. It right? was not Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> it's it was, Gordy. It Howe? was Gordy Howe. Yeah, yeah. I've read that book. And and I and I was like reading through this, and I was expecting. I was like. I was, I was reading, I read every section. I, I didn't want to spoil it for myself. So I was expecting Gretzky to be number one. And I was just, my jaw just dropped like, what? It's not Gretzky at number one? Okay, so that book, I believe, if you open that book, Eddie Shore, this like old-time racist defenseman from the Boston Bruins from the 30s is the highest-rated defenseman of all time. Like just some ridiculous information in there. Yeah, and, and, but you know what? He did, he, he, he made the case for how being number one. And he did say that... If Gretzky was able to, because by this time he was on the Kings, he said, if Gretzky was able to lead the Kings to a Stanley Cup, then I would reconsider. Well, <laughs> he never he never led them to a Stanley Cup. So I guess oh. I was still number one in, in Mr. Fischler's head. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, Actually, this touches on a, another story that I really liked in my, so I've read this book like eight times. So I'll admit it. It wasn't that easy for me to read it again. Because I've read it so many times, but for the podcast I did, and I did find one story that I hadn't noticed in the past that I really tickled me. So there's a there's a scene late. So similar to this business of Stan Fischler slagging Wayne Gretzky, 
there was another Toronto star hockey writer named Dick Beddoes. And people who grew up in Toronto might remember this guy. He had, he was, he's just one of those old time dudes in suspenders and like thick glasses, I think. And he had, he had a TV show on the weekends, like the Dick Beddoes sports hour or something. Anyways, I'm, I'm probably butchering it because I don't remember the name exactly. But anyways, Dick Beddoes was like a Toronto star writer in this book. He is quoted as saying that Wayne Gretzky is overrated, right? And the dude who takes offense to this is actually Wayne Gretzky's dad. Walter Gretzky in this book gets fed up reading these articles. And I guess at that point, it was popular for writers to have this take that Wayne Gretzky's overrated. He scores a lot of points, but his team doesn't win. He's kind of useless. And next time they're playing, I believe, maybe it's in Toronto, Wayne Gretzky scores like five goals or something and walter gretzky says give me those five pucks i'm gonna stuff this up dick Beddoes butt right <laughs> which i was like whoa walter gretzky said that because what the other myth of canada like we have this myth that wayne gretzky is mr canada but actually the other myth that we have is that walter gretzky is mr dad right he's canada's national dad right and and the story we have that's been passed down is that walter gretzky flooded the ice rink so how many parents are out there in the backyards trying to flood an ice rink in the winter so their kid can learn hockey he was a dude who you know had a kind word for everyone worked at bell telephone for his entire life even after wayne gretzky became a celebrity never an ill word spoken about walter gretzky until i read this book carefully and i realized huh this guy's got a little bit of saltiness to him you know he's a little bit of competitive and it makes sense that uh that uh, wayne gretzky would be the greatest player because his dad taught him right yeah also ran a success, successful winery, Walter Gretzky. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. More myths about Canada. Uh, th these takes are hilarious in <laughs> retrospect. And it's like, it kind of it forms the origin of the modern, you know, take culture in sports where right. basically it doesn't matter how good you are as an individual player. If your team doesn't win, you are completely overrated. <laughs> you suck, basically. You know, you're uh, criticized for right. even being good. Like for being mar if you're if, for even being marginally good, you're, right. you're just yeah slagged against. If your team sucks. <laughs> so we talked a bit about this book. I mean, those are the parts I liked. Were there any parts that you liked that you wanted to bring up? Um, it, I, there's to be honest, it was a it was a pretty light read. And there's nothing that really stood out to me mm -hmm. too, too much. I just, I mean, I said it before, I enjoyed the origin story of the Oilers just because I didn't, I, I wasn't aware of how bad they were. And <laughs> it was just shocking to me. Right. Um, but other than that, there was, to me, Dave, I got to be honest, the, the, the book lacked a little bit of juice. <laughs> it didn't have the juice for me, you know? It was a little bit too light I could of a see reach. that. I could see that. It's a little vanilla. Everything's too perfect in it, almost. You know, we're, we're not that far off from reading the Mike Tyson biography. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the crash course that that was. This, this one comes off very light. And so it's hard for me to point out, like, what was my favorite part? I, I don't know. I think that... You, you're kind of talking about the same problem I had with the book this time, which was that it was a little bit too vanilla. And when we're talking about Canada and the national identity of Canada, the book is starting to not work anymore. It doesn't resonate because I feel like it's what you said. It's Canada now is a multicultural, diverse society. And this book is specifically talking about the myth of the Canadian identity as being essentially white Canada. And I'm not talking about snow. <laughs> I like how you used the term vanilla earlier. 
<laughs> if, in case together. people didn't know what I meant, <laughs> vanilla is white. <laughs> that was a that was a good uh, segue. Um, yeah, I mean, so you f- you find this book not relatable like you used to, basically. A little bit. You know, when I grew up in Canada, I thought you know Wayne Gretzky's amazing. He's one of my heroes. Mario Lumi was one of my heroes. Mark Messi is one of my heroes. As I got older, I realized I have nothing in common with these guys. And as I got even older, I realized, you know, if I went to high school with these guys, they probably wouldn't talk to me at all, right? <laughs> They'd probably beat me up, right? I'm here worshiping these dudes. They probably would be making fun of me. If I was in a locker room with these guys, I, I'd be crying probably at the end of the day. <laughs> I think this might point to some form of uh, childhood trauma that <laughs> no. might or might not have occurred in well, your the, life. Well, the, the, the trauma sure. is growing up not white in Canada. <laughs> no, but, okay. What do you have in common with any athlete from any sport, oh. really? Next month, we will be talking about Jeremy Lin on this podcast. But for now, essentially nobody. <laughs> exactly. So I, I feel like it's a little bit unfair to just, you know, isolate hockey players alone and, and <laughs> say you have nothing in common with them. You don't have anything in common with a six foot eight basketball player who grew up in the, you know, in, in an African-American. Do you, you know, feel ghetto. like you have more in common with, white Canada or with black African-Americans? I don't think I have anything in common with any of them (laughs) (laughs) or very little, very little. I I don't, I I don't know. It sounds like I'm not answering the question, but (laughs) the reason we, we sort of enjoy these athletes is because they're just, they're different. They're different people from us. So I don't know. Hockey does seem overwhelmingly white historically right i guess it's a nordic it's more of a nordic sport right mm-hmm. with northern harsher climates and these climates are typically inhabited by caucasians people of caucasian origin right so to me that explains it all right when you have these swedes coming in these finnish you know these finns coming in these russians coming in these czechoslovakians it all it all sort of ties in together with mm-hmm. the fact that these places are inhabited by you know white people I mean, I'll tell you the story. We touched on this before the podcast started. So I recently took my kids to watch a hockey game, right? As part of their upbringing, my dad took me to Maple Leaf Gardens one time. So I was going to take my kids to a game, but I'm not going to... The Maple Leaf Gardens isn't a thing anymore, really. So I took them to an Ontario Hockey League game, which is another part of the Canada's national myth because this is the factory where Bobby Orr and Wayne Gretzky, they all played at some point. So we went to watch the Mississauga Steelheads, I believe they're called. Yes. And, and because it's the OHL, we got nice tickets. We we're like really close. We're in the second row and we can see all the players' faces. And as I, I felt after afterwards, I was talking to my wife about it. I was like, we're sitting too close. We're sitting so close that I can't experience the national myth anymore. I can actually see the faces. I can see the pimple on these pimply. I can see the pimply-faced kids. They remind me of guys that I went to high school with. These guys were jerks. I'm almost certain. You know, there's these jocks, right? They're, you know, and they're all white. They're all pretty uniform. And it just didn't resonate with me. I, th- I feel like... In order for something to become part of our national identity today, it needs to represent that diversity that we're talking about, right? There needs to be some other people playing it. And when you go and watch children's hockey, like my son is playing hockey, there are a lot of minorities in it. But at a certain age, most of them stop for whatever reason. Like We'll explore that issue someday on the podcast. But it becomes at the OHL level, or certainly the NHL level, predominantly white sport. And that starts to be a bit of a jarring thing 
as a as a as a non-white person in Canada, I feel. Do you feel that someone who grows up in India and watches cricket, do you feel like it's jarring to them uh, that most of the players that they're watching are Indian? No, it's because I'm the minority here, here, right? (laughs) I'm the one that's not being represented. And then my Canada, therefore, is not being represented on the ice. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, so it boils down to if... You're saying that if there were more minorities playing hockey, you'd be able to relate to this book more? or you'd I be would be able to relate to hockey more. Hockey more, okay. Yeah, and it made me struggle a bit with this book because this book is just talking about the myth of Canada. And I felt like the myth of Canada is getting a little bit outdated. Yeah, I mean, this this almost seems like a time capsule into yeah. a, a certain era, like a, almost like a relic, and that's right. fine. Like that's it's like a historical <laughs> document in a way, right? Yeah, even it's though fine. It's, even though it's in our lifetime, it's still a, almost like a history Absolutely. book in a way. I still love the book. Don't get me wrong, but it's just it is starting to show its age in this particular way. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm still like a little bit nostalgic for that time, so it doesn't hit me, too. me that same way as as it does you. But I, I sort of realize that you know this this myth is definitely fading and fading pretty fast. I mean, I told I told my wife if we had just sat farther, it would have been better, and she agreed with me. Like we just couldn't tell how young and how much these kids were like jocks, then we would be okay with it. <laughs> I think you're just railing against uh, jocks. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> These, maybe, these, maybe. These jerk jocks who uh, <laughs> bothered you when you were young, when you were like a 12-year-old in high school or something like that. It all comes back to that. It comes back to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I got a quick question for you. Mm. Which book did you like better, The Game or The Game of Our Lives? We've reviewed both books here. We've read both books. Mm. The Which, Game is definitely a better book, you know, from a writing perspective, from a depth perspective, but from a easy readability and nostalgia perspective, this book actually is more fun to read. You know, if you, if you, so I actually usually leave this book at my mom's house. So sometimes I'm visiting my parents, I have nothing to do. I'll just flip it open or read a few pages and I feel warm and fuzzy inside. The game does not read like that. So the game is better. The, the game is better, but the game of our lives is easier. Yeah. That's how it, that's, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I tend to agree with you. I mean, we, I mean, if you remember, we inducted the game into our <laughs> pantheon of yes. sports books. Now, would you do the same for this book? I probably would. I think I am going to vote that it should be in the pantheon, but I know you're not going to support that vote. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> like, I think the game, part of the reason why I supported its candidacy, candidacy is that it was something beyond a book. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, there's a density there uh, of, like, almost like reading a, an encyclopedia. Right. In I a think way. you described it as being like a textbook. Like, people who want to yeah. learn about Canada should read this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This, this one is like a very, very stripped down version of that book <laughs> to the point where it's just kind of a story of a, of a certain era, mm-hmm. but it's not like all this stuff was almost essentially covered in the game, in yeah, the, but, this but, game, but a this, different era. Yeah. But this book came a bit before the game. It was written before the game. Oh, okay. I didn't even know that. Be- yeah. Because the game doesn't get written until, we- uh, the game doesn't get written until Ken Dryden's been retired for a few years. 
So I think the game comes out in 83. Oh. This book comes out in 81. But but the game is about like a few years earlier. Yes. It's about uh, the 70s. Right. A uh, right. time like the late 70s, something like that. Yeah, so I, I can't I can't support the candidacy of the game of our lives. Um, <laughs> there's just like I said, there's not enough spice, there's not enough juice, there's not enough like beyond just being a story. What if we doesn't said bring that, enough to the table? What if we thought of it as a book for preteens or teens? Would it work then? Because I feel like because it's simplistic and readable, it's almost like a children's book. And I feel like if if you're looking at it from that standpoint, it actually could be in the pantheon I, of I children's I hockey writing. I don't see it as a children's book. <laughs> Personally, I, I can't I, I can't see that. It's still it, I mean it still reads Fair like, enough. like all the other books that we've read basically so far. I think we landed on it collectively in the right spot. Like I know I like the book. I'll I'll still read it again at some point, but it shouldn't be in the pantheon, it, even though I voted for it, it. It sounds like you were giving a very begrudging candidacy to it. <laughs> you, you didn't sound like you were selling it too too well. No, I didn't enjoy it as much this time. Maybe because I knew that, you know, we're gonna get to this point of the discussion. We're gonna have to decide is it in the pantheon or not? And then when reading it from that lens, you know, I can't really just relax and just go with the book and enjoy it. I have to really analyze, is it Pantheon worthy? It probably is not. You you really hyped it up the last time <laughs> like uh, uh, during the, the game podcast. You really hyped it up well, a lot. Well, you see what sports writers have to do sometimes. You know, Wayne Gretzky's not the best player, okay? He's not. <laughs> Connor McDavid's not that good. We just got to give takes. It's an interesting take. Like, I don't know... Like in the in I, I don't know who's really like observing the realm of like hockey sports writing, but <laughs> that's a pretty hot take to say that the game. If you were to say the game of our lives is a better sports book than the game, that, I would say that's a pretty hot take. I'm gonna withdraw that take. Okay, it's been I don't know how many of us we've done 15 episodes. I'm gonna withdraw that take, but I will still say I enjoy reading this book more than the okay, game. That's fair. I think that's a fair conclusion to come to. <laughs> So why don't we talk about our next book? I'm kind of, I'm pretty excited about our next oh, book, Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the next book we're going to read, we got it right here, The Sense of Wonder by Matthew, I don't know, I'm going to butcher his name, by Matthew Celeste. And it, it's, a, it's actually a, a brand new book, and we're, we're doing a little uh, 180 here mm. on, on our podcast, and it's actually a fiction book. Yes, every we're going to read a novel. Book, every single book up until this point has been a nonfiction work. Right. This is actually a fiction book. And why, you ask? Well, why don't you tell them? It's, it's a novel about a person that's basically Jeremy Lin. But he's, he's changed into a Korean-American basketball player playing for the New York Knicks during the period of... It's no longer called Linsanity. It's called Wonder because his name is Juan. <laughs> yeah, so... It, it's not. I don't think it's autobiographical. I, I think it's just an attempt to dissect what that time was like for, yeah. for Jeremy Lin and so, what it meant for Asian Americans. Yeah. So I'm 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 very curious as to where this is going to go. Right. Actually. And so. actually, to the best of my memory, Dave and I have never talked about Linsanity, even in private. I don't think we've ever talked about Linsanity. So you're going to have to come back in a month to hear our take on Linsanity because I've been waiting to talk about Linsanity for a long, long time. You know, Dave, all of a sudden you sound like you perked up. You, you got very <laughs> excited to talk about Linsanity in contrast with <laughs> hockey vanilla. in Canada. I wouldn't want to talk about vanilla anymore. culture in the, the 1980s in Canada. You, you, you perked up quite a bit there. Absolutely, absolutely. 
Okay. Well, I think we need to put a bow on this and uh, I'll take us out with a closing quote. The year of the kid was a momentous one for the team, as it was for those who had watched Wayne Gretzky grow to his now undisputed place in the game's history. Now, that season two was over, and the sour taste of frustration was as strong as the glow of achievement had been the year before. In the fall of 1982, the Oilers would begin again, their eyes now focused on redemption. They all knew that eventually, maybe even the year coming up, that they would make it to the top and that the Stanley Cup would move for a while to Edmonton. They were a year older now and much wiser, and it was as if their boyhoods were behind them. Come on, that's not in the Panther. That's a great paragraph.